Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. Did you see that? Yeah. What's Gabo? I figure it's some guy's name. Some guy named Gabo. Welcome to Conversations About Collaboration, Episode 6. Today, Formstack CEO Chris Byers joins me to talk about the future of work, whiteboards and why they need to get better, the need for in-person meetings, and resistance to new technologies. Let's rock and roll, baby. Chris, where does this pod find you? I am in uh, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, in the middle of the U.S. Staying safe, I hope. That's right. I mean, and and I will say, of all times, living not on a coast feels like a slightly better place to be. A lot of people are joining you. I'm sure you've heard some of the statistics that people are moving out of cities. I think New York had something like, um, oh gosh, I forget the exact number, but it, it led in March and April in percentage of cities that lost uh, the, de- the largest percentage of people, whereas in uh, more rural outfits, for lack of a better term, wound up seeing those increase. Well, and I think I've seen so many people who uh, maybe live on the coast, you know, work for Google, work for, you know, some, some great uh, company, but they've of course said you can work at home at least through say 2021 or something. And so they've at least moved back for a while or, or some have bought houses, assuming that remote's going to stay forever. Right. What's a Formstack's policy towards that? Are you going to not, obviously not force people back right now, but when there is a vaccine and people are vaccinated to different things, um, do you anticipate embracing a hybrid model in the future? Yeah, so we actually, uh, since 2012, so for eight years, have been a remote-first company. So what we mean by that is we do have two core offices, one in Indianapolis, one in Colorado Springs, but a, a team of 250 people, only probably 40 live in each one of those cities. And everybody else is is kind of everywhere else. So we've got people from California all the way to Poland and then Canada down to Argentina. So it's interesting. In, in my new book, I write about remote first companies, whether it's Slack or Basecamp or Automatic, the company behind WordPress. They really didn't miss a beat. But there were plenty of organizations, I used to work for one of them, that struggled mightily despite the fact that they had, in theory, all of the tchotchkes, right? A Slack enterprise license, a Zoom license, but just because you have the tools doesn't mean that people can effectively use them. And I'd argue that there's a muscle memory that comes with that. Um, Am I completely crazy? Oh, I I think you're exactly right. I mean, I, I can't tell you how much effort we went through in the early days of learning how to, I mean, there's this, even this basic idea that if you can't get a meeting started in the in the first 10 minutes, like quit because everybody's so frustrated and angry. <laughs> and so, but, but those, and yeah, yeah, those things are just very normal for us. But I would say even for us, uh, we, we do have this hybrid, like we can go to the office sometimes. And that means, you know, when we've got big strategic problems or, or, you know, collaborative discussions, we usually try to get together and that's been strained. We've had to kind of force ourselves to do even more on, on video and, and uh, I'd say collaboration and, and more importantly, those strategic discussions are, man, they're hard to have on Zoom. Yeah, I, I know that there are ways to pick up body language and, and I would agree with you on the um, 
irritation I feel these days if it takes people more than three minutes to connect. And you've probably have seen those. I think it was about popular four or five years ago, right? If life were a conference call videos. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> people would just barge in. Hi, this is Phil. Yep, yep. yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think it, it's a, uh, I mean, it's kind of a funny thing. If you were late to a physical meeting, people are like, ah, I saw him down the hall. We'll be here in a minute or they're running to the restroom or whatever. When you're sitting on video and it's just blank and you, <laughs> it's just like, you don't know what's happening and you don't know, maybe nobody's going to show up. So it is such a different experience. I would think that form stack customers would have had to adjust less as well because so much of what your product does, the way I understand it, enables automation and centralized data gathering as opposed to having everything strewn about in different emails or different sources or different documents. Um, generally speaking, and I know there have been other challenges, but I mean, from Formstack, from Formstack's perspective, it really doesn't matter where you are, right? Absolutely. You know, we had a small part of the business that was very focused on live events, and that's just tanked. But other than that, you know, we've really been able to help people facilitate that move to a remote world a lot faster because all of a sudden you can take these processes that you kind of like talk to the person next to you. Well, you know, generate a form and start collecting that data, maybe more uh, and more of a process. And all of a sudden, you know, you haven't really missed a beat. So I, I, I do think that it's it's been ultimately, a, I hate to say a good thing for us. Um, uh, it, you know, that's, but it's people moving to digital world. It's, it's, uh, it, it is a, it's what we've been engaged in trying to do for a long time. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about business processes because when I used to explain it to my students as a college professor, they would roll their eyes because uh, it isn't the sexiest topic, but I don't have to tell you, it's a really important one. Is there one particular type of process that you can say, yeah, clients used to do it this way. They went with Formstack or a comparable tool and now it's just so much better because it's my contention that these, what I'll call internal collaboration hubs, Slack, Teams, um, was the Google just rebranded now? Was it Workspace by Facebook? Of, well, I'm sorry, by Google. It mm. was G Suite. It, it's just yeah, so yeah. hard to keep track of all of them, but <laughs> they really do allow a fundamentally more efficient and transparent business process if people would get out of their own way and adopt these tools that, oh, by the way, in large part, don't require any freaking coding. Yeah, you know, I, I think we we help people, especially where you're communicating with customers and you're trying to get that customer data into the hands of somebody internal to start a process. So imagine, you know, it's uh, I, I, ca- I capture the lead, then I want to give somebody a quote, then I want to get them to close, you know, a closed deal. Well, that's really difficult to move back and forth in and outside of the organization. And so where forms can kind of be this window into your organization so I can collect the data, but then maybe generate a document, then get to e-signature, then drop it into Salesforce. Um, those become really powerful moments. And I'd say we, we have focused since day one around, you know, these days it's called no code, but for us, it's been the non-technical user. We, we know there are so many people out there who, they know how this should work, this problem, but they just don't have the coding skills to do it. And so if we can enable them with those tools to, uh, you know, build a process internally for their organization, it's great for them. And then um, their value goes up in the organization too, because they're known as this person who can solve problems. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you stitch together different systems, right? Because you're right, it might, the quote might generate from Salesforce, right? But ultimately you need a SIG. And I know that the Slack Frontiers Conference, it was a couple months ago, I did an AMA at it. They mentioned that there was a DocuSign app 
which made all the sense in the world. Why, why wouldn't I want to track that in one place? Yeah, I think to me, what, what you touched on way early in this conversation was this idea that, well, first of all, there's just so much software today. So where we can do the job of bringing that together a little bit, um, it just is less taxing to uh, get a log into like seven products to get this job done. And uh, our, our aim is to like simplify that so that you can tie products together very, you know, quickly, seamlessly, and hopefully automate things because ultimately, uh, if you have too much software, you do automate more, but the mind tax to go to each one kind of breaks that, that savings back down and you've kind of ultimately gone stayed neutral or lost time. Yeah, that's what I'm, it's been one of the early themes of the first few episodes of this podcast, just how do you get your arms around all these different tools? And I found it fascinating. Uh, again, I'll use a Slack number here, but I don't think they're unique. For a 2,000-ish person company, they've got something like 560 different software licenses, right? which I thought was an amazing number. And even Jay Bear, who was my first guest, runs a company called Convince and Convert. And they've got about 12 or 15 employees. And he said, yeah, we've got about 75 different software licenses. So this notion that there's one app that does everything, I think, is madness. So the question becomes, how can you stitch them together such that you're not, to your point, bouncing around all these different screens, you get um, up, um, interrupted by someone, and you forget to do a key step in the process. Yeah, I, I think that is going to be the challenge of the next five to 10 years is uh, you can build software for the most nuanced little slice of a process now. And uh, that challenge really is going to have to come back down into how do we consolidate that back down into something much, much, much simpler. Uh, the other thing, though, is you, you know, everybody operates just a little bit differently. And so uh, one person's going to go sign up for Monday.com for project management, the other one's Smartsheet, and then the other one, you know, something else. And so I, I think even as company leaders, we're going to have to start doing a better job of um, convincing people to try to trim that down a little bit. Not their personal productivity may be a little bit worse, but it's what's going to keep the, the group moving forward at a better rate. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And this actually has come up with a couple of other guests. How do you convince people that using one tool is actually better in a number of different ways? First, it might be more affordable, right? Easier to manage. But then I think it was about a month ago. Do you, have you ever heard of Rike? It's another project management. Oh, yep, yep. Right, so they announced a slew of new AI and machine learning features. And they're all really interesting. but I'm no expert on machine learning, artificial intelligence, but I do know this. You can't learn if you don't have data. And more data means potentially more learning. So I would agree with you. And I'd love to hear as a CEO how you, you know, you'd rather use the carrot than the stick, especially at first. But what do you do when people say, well, my tool of choice is Trello. Well, I use Asana. Well, I use Write. And then it becomes this uh, territorial battle right? Well, why do I have to use your tool? I, I've actually, I'd love to get your thoughts on that because I, I do think there are consequences beyond just one person looking at it organization wide, but people sometimes don't think that way, as you know. Yeah, you know, that, that's a great question. I think the, uh, it, it is, you're right, it's very tough these days to want or for people to want to get on maybe say a single software system versus their own preferred choice. And they're so used to it. They go sign, you know, they download apps all day long and you know, download 10 apps just over about three minute period to figure out which one they really want to keep. And so it's definitely a mental model we need to break. One thing I've been thinking about is 
maybe the importance of education. Like I, I'm not one who normally thinks, oh, let's go invest a ton in just education within the organization where people need to go through maybe classes. But as I go into next year, I've been thinking about a lot. How do we maybe do training on uh, how to build better workflow processes or how to think about your problems differently? Because most of us, uh, actually the worst thing most of us do is we don't spend time zooming out and saying, hey, what, how does this process work? And maybe sh- maybe I should do it better. And so I've been thinking about teaching people frameworks, basically. And so maybe it's really starting to think about what is the framework for helping people understand uh, how if, if we can't, you know, maybe you can go be an expert in a particular product, but if we can't replicate that and teach other people how to use it in, a, in an efficient enough fashion, then it's really not that big of a win. But maybe it's that perspective of uh, seeing the, the win for everybody rather than just the win for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree. And then you think about just things like reporting. Right. If I've got three different tools, and I know there are a couple of tools out there that purport to aggregate or stitch in the different AT- APIs. So in theory, you can get reporting out of everything. But I just think, you know, if, if Trello and Asana and Basecamp do effectively the same things, right, then what's the downside other than someone having to learn a new tool, which, you know, at least to me, one of the reasons that I could pick up ERP system B back in the day is that I'd already learned ERP system A. And conceptually, they had to do similar things, whether it's run payroll, attract benefits, or do financials. Yeah, they have their little differences, right? But a debit is still a debit, and a credit is still a credit, right? Yeah, and you know, maybe maybe you've you've taught me a good lesson in this past uh, little bit that one of the like it's a it's an advantage and a disadvantage. Which so Slack and Teams are very similar. And so the downside of that is one of them really doesn't have a, a terribly strong advantage over the other. Um, but the, the advantage of that is actually you're, you're elevating the whole market because everybody's learning how to use this stuff. And so maybe there's some interesting uh, parallels to saying, hey, don't always go innovate. Maybe you actually need to have parity with some of your competitors at times because we're uh, so big of the, uh, so much of this market we're in right now is just teaching people masses of people how to use more digital products and be successful with them. And most of us who are in technology all day think, oh, everybody's on these software. Uh, (laughs) But realistically, they're not. And there's a huge chunk of the world that has not yet really adopted uh, trying to do things more efficiently in software. Yeah. And it's anathema to me why someone would, just as an example, insist on six emails back and forth for scheduling when I've got, you can book me on my website, a child could use it, or there's Calendly or something else. But I've actually gotten into it with people who said, I'm not going to use your tool. And I could look at my stats on WordPress and go, no one's been to this page today. I don't even think you've looked at it, right? Just conceptually, they were so provincial in their mindset of you have to use my tool, or we're going to do it the old school way. And again, as a techie, that just blows my mind because it's not 1995, but that resistance is real. Yeah, and I think um, I mean I think in technology in general we have this tendency to to live in our own vacuum and think life is different than it, it probably is, and so uh, which which takes me back to that idea of we'd probably all do well. Glad you're writing you know books and putting out podcasts because I think more people just need to listen and hear and uh, say oh I, I should spend a little bit of time on this topic and figure out how I want to approach it. Yeah. And then I could see if it required a lot of technical sophistication, 
right? No one wants to learn a new programming language to save two minutes, right? But these, I always call them no-code solutions, but low-code, whatever, drag-and-drop stuff, the, the Zapier, the Mercado, the IFTT, the, 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 the other stuff that you know, you know more about than I, it's, it's, it's really drag and drop. It's, it's like creating a database with Microsoft Access. You don't have to know any code. If you can move a mouse, you can basically build some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, you know, I, th- I think the power, I, th- I think there's endlessly powerful tools in terms of no code and, and kind of tools built for the non-technical user. Uh, the, the challenge I'm starting to see is that uh, workflow problems are actually difficult at a, I don't know, like almost a philosophical level. <laughs> and so we need to figure out ways to help people understand how do you how do you help a process get better? How do you look at it and say, all right, how much time does this take? And who are all the steps that are that are involved here? And, and maybe it's almost a mapping and helping people learn how to map things and uh, put it on paper is really a first step that so many people forget to do. I know I jump into software and I want, want the software to work before I've actually thought about the problem. Um, and, and so I think teaching people to step back and say, all right, uh, I mean, literally I tell people, get a piece of paper out and like sketch this process out. It's going to take you a thousand times less than finding software to do it. And you're going to do it better and then take a picture of it and show me like, that's, you can do that so fast. And all of a sudden you've probably, you're probably on the, on the path to building a better process. Let me be devil, play devil's advocate for a second. Um, in my past consulting career, I encountered many organizations that didn't want to change, let's say it's payroll, right? They'd say, yes, we know this process is broken, but it works. So even though we may be able to shave 20% off of it or save you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, ain't broke, don't fix it. And the person making the decision is probably pushing 60, thinking about retirement, right? How do you overcome that? You know, I, I do think that inertia around fixing processes is tough. There's, there's a reason why marketing and sales software always skyrockets in value and, and revenue so fast. And it's because you get to tie it to more sales. When you're talking about process, it's really important and saving time is actually a lot easier to do ultimately than finding the next new customer. But that, that inertia is difficult. And so I think there's, uh, you know, to, to me, it, it's it's this continued cadence of teaching people the importance of, or, or most people don't think about how much their time is worth. They think, well, salaries are just like, they're already paid, like I'm already here. So my time is kind of free at this point, even though that's not true at all. And so I think if you can educate people on, maybe it's a standard hourly rate in your organization, then you got to make it up because it's not Everybody's going to be a little bit different, but you can probably apply some wide swath of it's 50 bucks an hour or 100 bucks an hour and uh, say, all right, every time you think about a process and how much time it takes you, apply that $50 math to it and figure out how much is this costing us? And is there a way to you know, trim that in half? And I think if you can get people out of the way they think day to day and help them think from that business perspective, uh, you, you can help at least make some moves, but it, it's still tough work. <laughs> Yeah, I think the problem is particularly acute if you're dealing with an exempt employee. I can remember on the client side of my career at one retail company in New Jersey, they said, we've got this massive report that you have to do once a month for your job. I said, okay, you know, I like to automate stuff. I know Excel, I know macros, 
We've got back at the time, Crystal Reports, which I don't think it's around anymore. But okay, let me do it once manually and then figure out how to automate it as much as I can. And it took me three days, Chris. And I just said, this thing is so complex. And I couldn't even guarantee accurate data at the end because during the three days that it took me to generate the report, things would change, right? I was in HR systems at the time. People would still move, get promoted, pay raises, blah, blah, blah. I think because I was exempt, right? If I were a consultant making 150 bucks an hour, I said, look, make this as inefficient as you want. Here's your bill at the end of the month. Really? We paid this much for that? Well, how much would it cost you to automate the whole thing? It would have been a very different scenario. And I've actually encountered that in other jobs as well. So isn't in a way uh, an economics matter? There's no marginal cost to having someone work the extra time. And if the economy isn't great, oh, they're really going to quit. Well, and you know, I think the um, the more front line, the closer you are to the front lines, the more your perspective, I think, tends to be, oh, well, this is the way the process is. Some some perfect person up here, way up in the organization, made a decision a long time ago that this is how it's supposed to be, and so it's just right. Like they, they're not even taught to question uh, a process to say, is it right? Because uh, I don't know. We we all revere the people who are above us, and I think we we think they're smarter than us, and we think that they're uh, they're making better decisions than us, even though that's not true at all, <laughs> or or very often not true. And so I think if you can elevate people to to question more, even uh, why a process is the way it is, you can probably get some movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, switching gears for a second, put on your Swami hat. What does the future of work look like three, five, seven years down the road? You know, I had a, a really interesting uh, experience this past week. So, uh, you know, pandemic's been going for months and travel's gone to nearly zero. And uh, a handful of us at work said, you know what? We really need to get together physically and, 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 and you know, that that environment together. We'll, we'll distance and we'll do all those things. But I was just, you know, it took three hours uh, or maybe 30 minutes into a meeting where I was like, man, a whiteboard and a group of people can do some serious damage to a problem. <laughs> and yet in Zoom and, and in this digital world or Teams or whatever, man, that's hard. And so to me, I think people focused on, I actually think this is the challenge to solve is collaboration in a digital world. Productivity went up for everybody. That's easy. We all have more time on our hands. We all, because we're less distracted and we're not moving around. Uh, collaborate. Absolutely. And it's, but collaboration is going to be very difficult. And in fact, innovation may be tough or uh, on the whole. And so to me, if somebody can get over finding ways to create those collaborative environments, and maybe it's physical devices that we all have in our homes and somehow connect to Wi-Fi or whatever, I'm not sure what it is yet, but uh, I think where we can see innovation there will really unleash what digital and working not physically together can, can look like. Um, the other one is, and, and I know you've addressed this in, in past topics, but uh, there is that Zoom fatigue and it, it's a psychological thing. It's a physical, you know, it's a, it's a real like medical scientific kind of thing that we are experiencing. And so whether that's the future of holograms or, or whatever, I'm not sure what it's going to look like, but if, if we can, uh, man, I think if we can tackle those two things. I actually think we'll unleash uh, being able to work much more comfortably in a remote world and being okay with it. I get super, you know, tired of being by myself, and uh, I, I know I need that interaction. And so, I, I think those are some really unique opportunities that that someone will solve someday, and it'll, it'll be great. 
Yeah, couldn't agree more. Good stuff, Chris. Get you out here on this. Um, I know you're an avid reader. What are you reading these days? Give me a book recommendation. Well, kind of uh, reading Melinda Gates' uh, The Moment of Lift, totally kind of off business topic, but really interesting discussion about how kind of lifting women across the world actually solves some some great problems around poverty and uh, and justice. Um, uh, you know, getting slightly older, so thinking about the future and uh, kind of uh, there's a book by Richard Rohr. Uh, man, I can't remember what it's called, but about kind of the second half of life and thinking about those topics of you know what what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Uh, and so those are at least a handful of things. There's a business book too that I'm reading, uh, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight about the Nike story, which is really fascinating. So those are uh, those are some some for now. Good stuff, Chris. Thanks for your time. You stay safe. Thanks, Phil. It's been great. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, and how can you not, please download, like, or subscribe. Merci, gracias, obrigado to the producer of this podcast, podcastedition.com. You guys rock. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However... If you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, and how can you not, please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.